Hey there, welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, hosted by Kelly Stewart, business strategist helping companies to do good in all aspects of their business, and me, Laura Heacock, a leadership coach helping professionals bring kindness into business. Doing Good Business is a podcast for leaders who want to bring their whole selves to work and create companies that make a real difference in the world. Hey, welcome back to the Doing Good Business Podcast. I am Laura Heacock. I am joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Kelly Stewart. And today, we are super excited to also be joined by Sabrina Pouts and Greg Henry. They are founding and co-partners at Push 10, a design firm located in Philadelphia, where we are locally, as well as Austin, Texas. So welcome, Sabrina and Greg. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I will hand it over to uh, to whoever of uh, the Push 10 team wants to go first to do a little longer introduction and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your role in Push 10. Oh, Sabrina, go. Okay, I'll go first. Um, all right, so yes, I'm Sabrina Pouts. I'm a partner here at Push 10. I'm also our creative director, so I oversee the client relationships um, and creative strategy behind everything that we do, working sort of day-to-day with the team and, and the clients um, to deliver on branding projects, website projects, um, all sorts of brand strategy, and, you know, everything in between. (laughs) Uh, My name is Greg Henry. I am the president and founding partner here at Push 10. Um, I like to refer to myself as a recovering designer. Uh, I was a a practicing (laughs) creative and a designer and and web designer for the better part of a decade um, before uh, getting Push 10 off the ground here. Um, super proud of the, the team that we've, we've built here now. Um, and uh, my day-to-day is a little bit different than Sabrina. She does all the fun stuff, um, <laughs> and all, the, all the creative side of the business, whereas my role has really shifted kind of out of the creative and more towards, um, you know, recruiting efforts, new business development, HR, admin, you know, all those really fun tasks um, I, I kind of <laughs> handle. So. So Kelly and I are real nerdy, and those things are kind of fun to us. Plus, we don't understand at all the technology behind branding. So I think we're in good <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you guys for that, and thanks again for being here. Uh, last week on the podcast, Kelly and I were talking about civility. And, you know, one of the things we mentioned is that means way more than just being nice to somebody at the water cooler and then, you know, maybe being unkind or, or talking about them behind their back. But I know culture is something that's really important to you guys as leaders and, and in the organization that you've created. So can you just tell us a little bit about your your culture and how you balance the values that you all decided were important to the organization? And what does that look like on a daily basis when people are just there doing the work? Yeah, well, what's really interesting is, is with any organization, not just Push 10, culture a lot of times stems from the, the leaders of the organization, um, personalities, belief systems, work ethic, you know, um, all sorts of those things sort of trickle trickle down from the leaders. So, in in really sort of establishing a culture, you kind of have to 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 live the culture yourself as a leader um, if you're hoping to to have that trickle down to to the team. And I will say too that you know I completely agree with Greg that we we try to model the values and the culture that we we'd like to have. Um, but we also try to hire for a specific set of values and make sure that we're bringing people into the fold that that naturally innately, you know, feel the way that we feel about about certain things. Um, so that's that's very important to us, and we have those hiring practices in place. Um, you know, kind of to your question of trying to maintain a you know a read on the culture or maintain that culture. 
you know, we, we try to check in with the team weekly at all hands meetings. We have smaller breakout meetings for, for critical teams uh, throughout the week. And then we also conduct regular one-on-ones where, you know, myself and Greg will, you know, meet with every single person of the team and just try to stay tuned with, you know, how they're feeling and, and what they're observing. Because, you know, since we do hire for those values, each individual is just very naturally attuned to when things feel off. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of, part of the reason that, you know, we started push 10 is, I don't know about you, Sabrina, but I had experience (laughs) working in the corporate world. Um, and it was not for me, uh, you know, working as a designer, (laughs) sitting in a cube farm, um, having to wear sort of, uh, khakis and, and slacks and business casual every day. And, getting excited because Friday was Hawaiian shirt day or whatever, um, you know, <laughs> Quasi I, culture. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're parking in the big corporate parking garage and just, oh, it was also fake. And, and it was so much, so much political red tape that we go on at these larger organizations and it just was not a fit for my personality. I didn't understand why we had to do things the way we had to do them. So many processes seemed out of place and just the culture was lousy. It was a lousy place to be. So um, in starting Push 10, we wanted to almost build the anti-corporate culture. And I feel like we've written a lot of our values around yeah. those feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's often really, I think that's true. You know, a lot of times we learn, you know, how we want to lead through the bad leaders that we've had or the bad experiences that we've had. Or, you know, we seek out organizations that uphold the values that we maybe didn't get in our last one. And and you guys mentioned something really key. and. I'll link to the data to this in show notes because I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know that there is a whole ton of research as it relates to values-based hiring and retention. And, you know, especially now, Kelly, I talk about this all the time. The job market's crazy. Nobody's out of work. It's really hard to find good talent. And there's a lot of data on that being, you know, obviously not only good for the culture every day of the company, but it really leads to retention because you're finding people that believe in more than the paycheck that you're giving them. They believe in who you are as an organization and what you're doing for your clients. Yeah. It's a little bit of the, the chicken for the egg um, saying, whatever that is. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really bad at my saying. So if you need to edit that out, it's fine. Any metaphors that he's saying? Oh, no, we might leave that. Hard. I kind of like it. <laughs> I always get them wrong because on one hand, like you mentioned, the job market's really hot right now. So if you have an open position that you need to fill, it's hard enough to fill it, let alone trying to fill it with someone that meets a specific type of culture that you're trying to build. Um, right. But if you don't take the time to find that culture, that means someone's going to come to your organization that might steer the culture the wrong way, and they're probably going to leave soon anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place that you have to wait the extra time. There's another metaphor. Wait the extra time to 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 hire the right person that's the cultural yeah. fit. And it's, it's tough in today's job market when, you know, um, no one's really hunted uh, at your door looking for work. I love that you're you're hiring for values. What are some of the the things that you do if you're comfortable sharing them or, you know, maybe not specifically, but just kind of in general, um, what those practices actually look like? So for a listener out there who's saying, yes, I need to do that. I need like what advice or guidance would you give them? Yeah, um, well, I think, Greg, you can speak to this as well. But for hiring practices, we typically like to place our um, you know job descriptions in a wide variety of places. We don't want to just post to one exclusive job board to just try to get a large array of applicants. Um, And then the first step that we typically take is a phone interview, which is directly with Greg or myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And we want to just be that first line of, 
you know, just having a conversation with the person and making sure that we can and that it's comfortable and that there's a couple laughs and, you know, and a shared understanding mm-hmm. to a certain extent on that phone call. Um, if that phone call checks out, then we'll bring them in to meet again with ourselves in person, as well as with their immediate team. So, you know, if they're a project manager, we want to have our other project managers in that meeting um, to make sure that they have a chance to vet who would be their potential colleague and, and give any insight or, or kind of opinion from the trenches as to how that person might fit in with, with the rest of the team. Um, and, you know, it's not something we have done a whole lot, but one thing we've considered is possibly even having them back again if if those individuals, if we're unsure, having them go out to lunch with some of the people who might potentially be their teammates and, and understanding, you know, how that conversation flows and, you know, is there mm-hmm. a rapport there that could be built over time, um, just giving them more of a casual opportunity to connect without us in the room. Yeah, and I'll back that up even a, a step higher uh, earlier in the in the in the in the process. Um, it goes about like attracting the right type of people in the first place. Um, and Sabrina mentioned, you know, putting putting the ads on certain job boards. But what do you show on your website? What does the culture look on your website? We have a, an about us page that we spent a lot of time uh, designing, knowing that this page is probably going to be looked at at. at Prospective hires almost more than prospective clients. Um, Absolutely. So, how does our culture look on our website? What is our blog post? What's our Instagram showing? You know, um, are we having fun? Do we look like a nice, fun, creative place, diverse place to work? Uh, so, we definitely take that into account because that's going to attract the right type of cultural fits from the get go. Um, and it's going to weed out a lot of people that probably aren't a good fit and waste less of our time on those phone calls uh, with people that just aren't good fits. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And someone who's who's been in the job market for a long time, I love the way you've really kind of flipped your recruiting practices um, because that's not the way we started out doing things, right? Like I remember right. one interview, especially right where I, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with a hiring manager who had nothing to do with, with who I would be working with. And it was this long, arduous process and it took a couple of months and I was like, Oh, where is this going? I ended up yeah. not, yeah. not taking, yeah. you know, not going there because I felt, I felt disconnected. I'm like, I'm not even through the process yet. And I feel disconnected yeah, yeah. from the from a team, you know? So, um, yeah, I love what you're doing. I think that's great. And it's really great advice for somebody who's, you know, trying to figure that out, maybe breakthrough, maybe they have some of these more traditional hiring practices. And, and I think you've done a great job of, of helping them understand how they can take some first steps to making some changes. Yeah, I will, I will say it is easier said than done. Um, we may make mm-hmm. it sound easier than it, than it really is. Uh, no matter how meticulous you are and you think you've hired the perfect person, um, sometimes it, it doesn't work out. Uh, and, and sometimes you don't really realize that until you've had a chance to actually work on projects with people. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I remember I remember going through the interview process myself back in the day, and you always put a certain face on um, or your resume is written a certain way um, because, right. you're, you know, obviously you're looking for a job. So you don't always let your true colors show. Um, but they do come out eventually. Um, so, uh, but, but you know, nine times out of ten, we get it right. So, and I think that's a little bit of our hope of doing sort of, I think you call it the reverse, the reverse process a little bit from what is traditional. You know, we can be that first line. We can vet them, you know, for skills and more objective things. But when it comes to the softer skills or relationship building, 
let's bring it on our team and have them, you know, do a little bit more of that analysis and, and start to build a relationship and, and see how that works. Yeah, I love it. If I if it, if I put my uh, slightly out of date talent acquisition hat on, I can tell you that all of those are are definitely best practices for hiring. And and Greg, you're you're totally right. Not everyone is going to be their full self, even if you take them to a lunch meeting and and try and assess their personality. But it's a matter of doing as much good as you can in the interview process to ensure that somebody is a culture fit that has the same values obviously that has the hard skills as well. And then, you know, you, you do, if you need to make a different decision down the road, you do that. But I think that the checks and balances that you guys front load in your process is, is evident in the culture that you have created. Yeah. It's always uh, been amazing to me as well, how much just one or two people can, can change a culture uh, Mm. at a company. Um, You know, some people are, are just kind of, you know, more quiet and introverted, just kind of come up and show their job. But other people are really boisterous, outgoing, you know, wrangling up people to go to lunch or happy hour, always laughing, and they can really lift the place up. Um, and we've seen it ebb and flow and swing back and forth um, several times over the years. Um, yeah. And as a leader, you, you like to think that you have a little more control over it than you do sometimes. Um, but that <laughs> just goes to show that how important it is to to hire the, the, the right type of people that are really going to organically spread the type of culture that, that you want to have at your company. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know a lot of the uh, work that you guys do and the clients that you have are are mission-based business. And and with this question, I'll kind of segue in it to to Kelly, but working with mission-based businesses and kind of making that the the aim of the clientele that you're trying to attract, how do you find that that is impacting your company internally? And what did make you guys um, decide to go in that direction with the business? Well, I can answer the second part of the question. Do you want to answer that first and then take the first part yeah, of the question? Yeah, please do. So um, you like to think uh, when you start an agency that you're going to write a business plan and identify your, your specific target market niche and kind of just nail it out of the gate and be seen as an expert in that, that niche. Um, unfortunately, that really doesn't work that way. At least it hasn't it been my experience. It doesn't happen like that. <laughs> Nor was that my at any of the agencies I, I worked at, you know, uh, during the course of my career before Push 10. Um, and what really seems to happen is you do some great outstanding work for a client in a certain industry. And then before you know it, more clients mm-hmm. from the industry are knocking on your door to work with you. Um, so at Push 10, we gradually kind of uh, condensed our industries into sort of the nonprofit mission-based uh, we did a lot of work in higher ed, um, and even for a while, we were doing some work in finance and, and legal. And over time, we started to realize, where are we really doing our best work, and, and what, what is most enjoyable for the, uh, the staff to work on, because um, that obviously can, can help retention, too, if they really love the projects they're working on. Um, what's profitable for us, what we looked at, you know, our revenue over the past few years, what industries are really doing well in. And then nonprofits and mission-based organizations really just seem to bubble up to the top on all accounts. Um, so that's when we really started to target our marketing, target our messaging, um, speaking more specifically to um, those certain types of organizations. Um, and it's been it's been really great. So. And, you know, Greg's talking a little bit more about the sort of business analysis that led us to choose the mission-based organizations. But I do fully believe that when the team feels really good about the work or, or you know, the people who are working on, on the job feel really passionate and excited about it, they put a little bit of extra heart into it. Mm-hmm. And that's what 
leads that work to be so outstanding. And, and I think that's where, you know, organically, a lot of this shift in our business has come from. Um, you know, I know myself personally, working closely with the team that, you know, doing the strategy work, working closely with the marketing teams at, at various nonprofits, that it's just a really pleasurable experience. And, and those individuals who are, are coming from the nonprofit world, overall just seem to be a bit more focused on their focused in general, but also focused on their end audience. It's less mm-hmm. driven by ego. They're not quite so in their own heads about, about, you know, how the work is going to represent them personally, but really more focused on that, that end benefactor of the work that they're doing. And it allows for a lot more objective decision-making, a lot smoother processes. Um, and it's really just been a pleasure for us. That's awesome. I love the fact that the decision with strategic, absolutely. And I know in generally in formulating strategy, people tend to focus on the objective data and you, you've done that as well by just, you know, taking that analysis and reviewing, you know, who were you working well for, when, when was it all jiving results. But I love the fact that you had a, a subjective layer to that. And I think that's where the best decisions are made. You know, there's that data driven decisions, but I think they should be data supported decisions. So I applaud you for looking at the business objectively and then layering over, um, well, Lauren and I talk about this too, I'll, I'll call them softer, <laughs> the softer side, um, which is, I think, more just becoming a, a bona fide essential part of doing business, really looking at the relationships and understanding why they're successful and then being able to build on that with your practice. I think this is fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you point that out because we just launched a blog post, I guess, last week not even last week, a few days ago, uh, about um, I, the title of the post is data-driven design. So it's not really about company decisions, but it was more about uh, creative decisions to make during the course of a project um, and how supported they are by data and bringing that subjective uh, personality of a, that a designer has to kind of use the data to their advantage, but not necessarily make decisions that are wrong for brands. It's, it's funny that I didn't even realize exactly. we're kind of doing the same thing at the business mm-hmm. level as well. Um, that goes back to, you know, another one of my things, too. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So I, I just love um, your approach to it. What do you find, um, you know, with the clients from a, a marketing services per- perspective, you know, um, as that's what you've offered them, is there a difference in working with an organization that has a, a stated goal to do good versus maybe an organization still a great organization, but really doesn't have that kind of stated goal of we do well by doing good and here's how we do it. Is there a difference in approach? Do you see different levels of engagement or different types of engagement that you wouldn't necessarily see when you've worked with organizations that really don't have a stated goal to do good? Yeah, I think that off the bat, everyone is just more excited about the work um, on both sides Mm -hmm. of the coin, both internally and on the client side you know, it's contagious. Even, you know, low-level marketing, mm-hmm. you know, team members and, and things like that are, are really excited about the type of work that's being done at, at some of these mission-driven and mission-focused organizations. And that really wears off on our team. It puts a certain amount of momentum behind the project. Um, everyone gets very excited about it and, and can really start to feel the good that's being done in the world. And, and it just, right. it's a, almost a trickle-down effect. I also would say that, you know, as I mentioned, that Again, those people are a lot more focused on the end audience and the the person who's benefiting from the work that we're doing. So that really helped our process by making decisions a little bit more objective. We're able to do stakeholder interviews, talk to 
those end audience members get a little bit more data mm-hmm. and and make decisions that are truly best for the business and not focused on someone's personal ego or some executive's personal you know decision that mm-hmm. that right. made a rail project. Um, right. From, from the type of work we do, I know one reason we enjoy the sort of the mission-based uh, space is there is so much variety to it, um, which always kind of keeps our approach, you know, uh, fresh. Um, Sabrina, mm-hmm. you mentioned the strategic you know, stakeholder interviews. It is so different for every nonprofit because their missions are all over the board. It's not like we work with just one type of nonprofit that has the same type of mission. Whereas when I mentioned earlier, we were slowly narrowing our, down our niches. We did some work in finance for a while and as well as some work in legal. And pretty much every wealth management firm we worked with had more or less the same mission. Um, <laughs> sure. We want to help our clients save for retirement and make more money. And so it was, it's, it, it was hard to stay creatively fresh um, when you kind of do the same work over and over again. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. we found a home in the nonprofit space, and it is vastly different, um, the types of nonprofits that we work with, and their missions range from A to Z. Um, and strategically, it's a lot easier to differentiate them in the marketplace because yeah. they may be the only person doing what they're doing or have a completely unique spin on it. So when it comes to their messaging and their visual look and feel and, and the materials that we're creating for them, it's actually a lot more enjoyable work. You don't feel like you're grasping at straws saying, oh, we're innovative. Everybody's innovative. Oh, my God. They're, they're truly collaborative. Differentiator. Yeah, and collab- innovative and collaborative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Industry leading. Yeah, so. <laughs> I heard someone say once, if if you really want to differentiate yourself, get your competitor's brochure, sit, now so this was a while ago, sit down at the table, take a black Sharpie marker, and just cross out everything that you all say about yourselves, and then yeah. whatever you're left with is your actual differentiator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love everything that that we're hearing here. I think um, there is a lot of really good business going on at Push 10. I'm excited by that. And um, what else? What else would you want to tell us that we haven't specifically asked? What are some of the the kind of stellar business practices that you feel really differentiate you um, in the services that you provide? Yeah, um, I'll speak a little bit on the sort of the internal. I'll go back to the internal and the culture again. Um, you know, Push 10 is, is no longer, I can't call it a small agency anymore. I used to take a lot of pride in calling it a small agency, but we're now a mid-sized agency, but I like to think we still have the spirit of a small agency. Uh, and mm-hmm. part of my background, I mentioned I didn't like the corporate environment. I also didn't like, uh, back when I worked at really, really large agencies, because I felt I didn't have a voice. Um, I didn't always have access to, to you know, executive level management or the owners, Um and there were processes or procedures in place that I didn't think were best, uh, which is one of the reasons that I eventually, you know, jumped up, uh, on on our own to to do better. <laughs> uh, right. But I don't want that to happen here at Push 10. Uh, I like to think that all of our staff knows and has proven over time that they can come into the office or come into our, our weekly staff meetings uh, with an idea of, hey, why do we do it this way? Uh, I think it'd be better if we do it that way. And at the very least, we evaluate it. But I'd say the majority of times, if it's a happy decent idea, we implement it. We at least give it a try. Um, because, you know, we recognize being a, a smaller agency in tech, uh, we're not going to compete with, with Silicon Valley on salary and benefits. Um, mm-hmm. We can't even try. But we, what we can do is give our staff 
uh, a prominent voice, a prominent uh, seat at the table, um, and feel like they can really take ownership in the in the direction shape, of the agency, help shape the agency, yeah. essentially. Um, and that's something we've you know started to survey the team on on things both annually and and kind of almost on a monthly basis of understanding what people value and and ways that we can you know adjust to improve their everyday work life, their work life balance. Um, and really, you know, beyond giving people a voice and making sure that there's no red tape and that people really feel empowered, no matter what their role, to contribute to the conversation, we also focus a lot on flexibility and balance with, you know, some of those benefits that help people have a little bit better of, of a time um, balancing their, their work and their home life. Um, so, you know, things like summer Fridays and, um, you know, work from home days and Things like that, and we're looking into possibly um, even looking into doing sabbaticals after five years or something like that to help people recharge and refresh. Um, so we're just constantly right. reevaluating our policies and and the benefits we have available for our staff, and making sure that they're relevant and that they're working for people. You know, on one hand, these these benefits have a tangible value because they can definitely increase retention. Um, on uh, the other hand. You have to, you know, sometimes face the, the cold realities of at the end of the day, hey, it's a business and we do need to maintain a certain profitability level. So what, where do you strike that, that balance, um, and, and running numbers and, and looking at numbers and keeping that pipeline strong and keeping the business growing so that we can grow the type of business that we want to and be more, um, more proactive as opposed to being reactionary. And some of the things I think we've found that when we're weighing the pros and cons of, of you know, the, the business financially with the health and wellness of everyone around us, some of the things we found that have been just complete no-brainers are things like corporate volunteer days where we go and, and volunteer with a local organization. It ties back into exactly what we're trying to do with working with mission-based organizations. So that's been a huge success that we're hoping to do more of. We've also always had a really great um, time allocating people's hours and, and time to labs projects and working on the systems and the processes that we use as an agency, constantly reevaluating those. And then we've also, for as long as I can remember, allocated a certain amount of uh, money towards professional development and given a little bit of a stipend to our employees to allow them to go to conferences or purchase books or, you know, access a, a certain podcast or something that might be cost prohibitive that they're looking to, to use to learn and grow in their career. And that's key in the tech industry too, because it moves so fast. Yeah. But those have just been complete no brainers mm. for us from basically day one. So I'm curious as we're talking a lot about these offerings and, and look, my little co-chart is lighting up that you're giving people time to volunteer and money towards personal development. And I'm curious how do you see these internal practices impacting sales conversations with potential clients. You know, how does that cross over into, you know, business and, and revenue? Obviously the link to retention I think is, is pretty clear, but how do you see that impacting your business development and the clients that you're you're targeting and working with? That's a that's a great question. Sabrina did mention, you know, the, the volunteer days and, and I've always viewed that, you know, my first it's funny when we first said, Hey, we're gonna do a volunteer day, my first thought was Oh, those are all billable hours. We're going to be the office because I'm very much a realist here. Oh, Greg. <laughs> the dreamer. And that was my first reaction. Oh, no. And, and then I thought, oh, as soon as I reframe my mind, this is great for the staff. It's great for morale. It's great for the community. 
And if you want to hang a financial label on it, it's a business, it's a business development marketing expense for the agency. Mm. And as soon as I was able to shift my mindset like that, that this is a good investment to make, this is a good time investment to make from a variety of reasons. Um, then I was all on board. I'm like, yes, we should definitely do this. We should do more of this. Um, so yeah. it, it's definitely, you know, helped in a biz dev expense to walk the walk a little bit rather than just mm. saying we like to do mission-based organizations, websites, because they can be more creative and fun for our staff. That doesn't really mean that much to the prospect. Um, but when mm-hmm. you say, hey, this last month, the whole team went and devoted a, a day of time to um, MANA, which is an organization here that, that delivers um, meals to people with special dietary needs. Um, you know, being able to say that and being able to put pictures on our website or in our blog about that shows that we are really walking the walk as well. There's been times as well where we've, you know, we're starting to get more and more into the volunteering. It's something we, we have ambition for in 2019. But um, the times we've done it so far, there have been connections that were established mm-hmm. from those volunteering efforts or, you know, people who've seen photos or even just in an unrelated meeting will say, oh, yep, sorry, we we can't meet on that day. We're going to be volunteering. And that has gotten such a positive, positive reinforcement from our current clients, from prospects they might be talking to. Um, and those connections can come from anywhere. And it's, you know, really all about that networking and, and um, you know, being visible and, and getting the team out there and, and connecting with others. I feel like Kelly and I are probably grinning from ear to ear because it's, just, you know, you guys are really putting into practice what we believe that, you know, the market is hungry for companies like yours that are doing business differently, that are doing business better, that are doing good business. And, you know, that's just, it's such a small, such a powerful example, you know, being able to say to a prospect or a client, oh, sorry, we can't meet on that day. We're doing a corporate volunteer initiative. You know, that really tells the marketplace Mm -hmm. who they're dealing with. It tells them that not only are you guys working, you know, with a client that's mission driven, but you take that to heart and and you're doing it yourselves internally and you're really walking your talk, which I think is the most important thing you can do if we thinking about the, you know, the authenticity that's so often lacking in in the corporate space. Last volunteer day, Sabrina, Sabrina had the fun job on the food line and I was, I was stuck in the walk-in freezer, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling like there's a pattern emerging. Like I feel like Greg is describing everything Sabrina does is fun and his is like really hard to tedious. You know what, I was in the walk-in freezer and it it did make me really thankful though. I'm like, I, you know, I, I, I like my desk job now. I'm I'm okay with it. So it was a a lot of fun. Perspective. Yeah, give me a little perspective. Oh my God, that's awesome. I love it. Well, Sabrina Potts and Greg Henry from Push 10. We are grinning ear to ear. Thank you so much for being with us today and talking to us about how you all do good business because it's certainly inspiring and we applaud you for making the decisions every day that help you to to do good business. And um, we hope that you will also tune in for us for our our next episode because we're going to start talking about giving. So it was a great segue. Thank you for setting that up for me. Um, We're going to kind of pull apart what corporate citizenship looks like. And we invite our audience to join us then, Sabrina and Greg as well. And this has just been a, a fabulous episode. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we would love to hear from you. Send your comments, your questions, suggested topics to podcast 
at doinggoodbusiness.com. If you'd like, visit our website of the same name, doinggoodbusiness.com. Remember, you can always rate and review us wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Feel free to share it. Until next time, we encourage you to take one small step toward doing good business.